the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 702 for November 24th, 2019. U.S. communications regulators have cut off funding for two Chinese companies, leadership changes for T-Mobile, and Apple releases smart battery cases for the iPhones 11. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Your weekly podcast for the latest news, devices, and software in the mobile phone industry. More information can be found at thecellphonejunkie.com. First in the news this week, FCC Chair Ajit Pai has announced a decision on how to auction new radio spectrum for 5G that will be reclaimed from satellite operators. The FCC will conduct a public auction of spectrum licenses, as it has done with most bands used for mobile services to date. A group of satellite operators that currently have rights to the band have been lobbying for permission to conduct their own private auction instead. The spectrum in question is called the C-band, and it's near 4 gigahertz, a higher frequency than most bands that are used for mobile networks today but much lower than the millimeter wave bands that some carriers have deployed for 5G here in the U.S. As part of the C-band that is being planned for auction for 5G, uh, the U.S. has got a 280 megahertz wide uh, swath spanning 3.7 gigahertz to 4.2 gigahertz. And so uh, obviously this would be uh, something that would be of quite an immense value to different networks that are network operators that are out there. But of course, this is what the, the, the mobile uh, companies are looking for is a little bit different uh, in that it's this is going to be fill-in spectrum. This is not going to be stuff that's going to be deployed over a large area. Uh, so if you think about how this spectrum is going to be used, you're going to see it reused over and over. So you don't necessarily need 280 megahertz, or maybe you do, uh, depending on how much uh, bandwidth you think is going. To, it's going to be supporting in the future. But uh, it also could be split up and used by a number of carriers as well. Of course, what's interesting about this is that the, you know basically the FCC is taking the spectrum away from the satellite op, uh, operators and uh, instead of allowing them to be paid for the spectrum. Uh, so this is kind of a, going to be a pickle. And I wonder if this is going to turn into a lawsuit that will drag this on for a while, because you know, obviously nobody can really own airwaves, but the FCC controls them here in the U.S. And if they just all of a sudden decide to do eminent domain on your frequency, I, I, I don't know uh, what the, the case is. And I don't know if they've had to pay for them in the beginning. Right. And if they have had to pay for them, is there some reimbursement that they get? And the other part is the operators have rights to the spectrum, but that doesn't mean that they have been using it. So if they just own it and they're just banking it, uh, there might be some stipulations within whatever contracts that uh, they have or, you know, whatever uh, for these. I'm saying contracts like it's with some particular entity. I mean, they were purchased probably from the FCC at some point. So they're not using them. The FCC uh, potentially has the right to go back and and redeploy and resell off. Uh, certainly, uh, I would imagine with a refund back to that operator that had bought it originally. But what we're talking about here with 5G is obviously a much more lucrative venture for a mobile network operator with significant revenues. And so I would imagine that they're going to get uh, amounts in the billions versus in the millions, which what it was probably sold for when it was first sold off. Next up, U.S. communications regulators have cut off government funding for equipment uh, on two, two, two security, uh, two Chinese companies citing security threats. 
The FCC has proposed requiring companies that get government subsidies to rip out any equipment from Huawei and ZTE that they already have in place. It's the latest action by the U.S. government against Chinese tech companies and their telecom partners. The FCC voted unanimously on Friday to bar U.S. telecommunications providers from using government subsidies to buy equipment from both those companies. And the order mostly affects small rural companies as larger U.S. carriers do not use equipment from these Chinese companies. In a statement this weekend, Huawei urged the FCC to reconsider what it has called a profound mistake and, un- and an unlawful order. Uh, it said the decisions were based on selective information, innuendo, and mistaken assumptions, and that these unwarranted actions will have a profound negative effect on uh, connectivity for Americans in rural and underserved areas across the U.S. Now, as for replacing existing equipment, the FCC is asking for comment on how to help rural telecoms financially. Bills in Congress have proposed setting $700 million to $1 billion aside. A trade group for small rural wireless networks has said that it would cost up to a billion dollars for its companies to replace their Huawei and ZTE equipment. It says that Huawei has 40 customers in the U.S. They're also a member of the trade group, the Rural Wireless Association. And that group said this week that it is cautiously optimistic that the FCC's approach would let its companies keep providing services to customers and give them funding to replace any banned equipment. The Huawei statement said the lack of funding would hurt rural and disadvantaged communities and without access to these solutions, those carriers will lose their ability to provide reliable and high-speed telecommunications and internet services. Now, rural schools, hospitals, and libraries will also feel the effects, and due to reduced competition in the marketplace for telecommunications equipment, particularly, of course, 5G cutting-edge networks, all Americans will pay higher prices for these services. Huawei has reiterated its desire to work with the FCC to to rest the concerns over national security and ensure best practices are used in U.S. telecommunications systems. Huawei is the world's biggest supplier of telecom gear, as well as a major cell phone manufacturer. The U.S. government has said that the Huawei poses an espionage threat, but has presented no evidence of its equipment being used for spying by the Chinese government. The U.S. has been pressuring allies to ban Huawei from their networks and has restricted exports of U.S. technology to Huawei through numerous the lo- numerous loopholes have been exploited. ZTE did not respond to requests for comment Friday, and ZTE has also denied that China uses its products for spying. A congressional report in 2012 labeled both companies as security risks. The FCC's move this week, uh, though, uh, was a good one, according to FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel, who's a Democrat. She said it's taken a long time but uh, and did not go far enough. Uh, she said there needs to be a coordinated national plan for securing next-generation cellular networks. So, uh, a lot with this, obviously, uh, to, uh, to to kind of understand. And, and one of the things that I look at is if we are looking at where the companies uh, have deployed their equipment already, uh, there's certainly uh, there's going to be a, a need to figure out what happens before uh, these things can come out. It's it, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to be to the benefit of the consumer. And the FCC, as the advocate and in, in, uh, in the body that oversees and provides uh, the 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 oversight of what the consumer needs has to look at it in that way. They can't just say pull out all this equipment uh, and then figure out what you're going to do next. There has to be a plan, and that may include subsidies in order for this to actually work. Right, and and, and of course they're 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 citing security threats here. But if you take basically every single piece of electronic uh, equipment uh, that's made, other than just a very few, it's all made in China with you know Chinese components. And yes, maybe they'd be American companies or other companies from other countries, but it's 
you know, security is then basically a risk on everything, you know, for the most part. Uh, Obviously, you know, things can be monitored and traffic can be checked, but uh, so could could it with ZTE and Huawei. So I don't know exactly, you know, if this argument holds up, you know, that strongly as far as what they're doing. I mean, I think they're uh, just you know, targeting them for, I don't know if it's political reasons or what it could be, because it, it does seem kind of, uh, it seems a little fishy. It does seem a little fishy. And it, obviously there is a, uh, speaking of fish, it seems a little bit like fishing to try and find, um, you know, something with, with this. Uh, obviously there are, there have been no reported breaches or uh, cases of espionage that have been reported. So uh, there's nothing that says that this has to be a, or th- that this is indeed a, a security threat, an imminent security threat or an active security threat, just more of a, it could be. So um, there's, th- there's a, a lot of, uh, there's a lot more discussion I think to be had with this one. And ultimately if something does go into effect and the, uh, you know, the equipment is removed, you're going to have carriers and you're going to have rural Americans. And it's not just Americans that are on those networks as their, their carrier, but those that travel to those areas as well, they're going to be without service in some of those spots uh, from, you know, a roaming perspective. So uh, a lot of, a a lot at stake here. And obviously we'll follow it closely as uh, this process moves along. Uh, moving on to carrier news, AT&T launching 5G for consumers in the coming weeks and has detailed its launch plans for both sub-6 gigahertz or low-band and millimeter wave launches in the coming year. The company promises nationwide 5G in the first half of 2020. AT&T is branding low-band 5G, which offers similar coverage similar to 4G as quote-unquote 5G, and this is the service that it's launching for consumers. Its millimeter wave service with faster speeds but more limited coverage will be branded 5G Plus and remains limited to business customers. Neither designation should be confused, however, with 5GE, which was AT&T's misleading designation for enhanced 4G service. AT&T is launching its low-band 5G in band 5, which is the 850 megahertz range, which is its lowest frequency band of in the Spectrum portfolio, uh, offering the best long-range and in-building coverage. The launch cities for low-band 5G will be Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Providence, Rochester, and San Diego. Those cities will be followed by Boston, Los Vegas, Milwaukee, New York, San Francisco, Birmingham, Bridgeport, Kentucky, Buffalo, Louisville, and San Jose, California. AT&T has published coverage maps for all of the listed launch cities. AT&T's first phone to support low-band 5G will be the Samsung Galaxy Note 10 Plus 5G, which will only support low-band 5G and not millimeter wave 5G+. It will be available for pre-order on November 25th. 5G service is included in AT&T's Unlimited Extra and Unlimited Elite plans. AT&T's millimeter wave 5G plus service for business customers is currently offered in parts of 21 cities, expanding to 30 in early 2020. So just making sure you got that clear. So we've got three different kinds of 5G that they're offering. So there's 5GE, which is not 5G. It's indeed 4G. Uh, There is 5G uh, that is, uh, excuse me, 5G. Yes, then 5G, which is the new low band spectrum, which is not quite as good as the 5G plus, but you can't get that anyway, unless you're a business customer, but that's the millimeter wave stuff and also doesn't work. It only works in select areas. So we've got three different types of 5G that are being offered by AT&T under different brands, which clear as mud, clearly. Exactly. But I somewhat like this, the, the fact that they're differentiating the millimeter wave uh, segment because 
you know, you can kind of then avoid it easier. Uh, so I kind of like that because it's not going to be very effective for everybody. Um, at some point, it probably won't matter because, it, you know, all the phones will have both bit built in. So it'll just be kind of it'll be kind of like what Verizon did when they launched the 700 LTE and they called it XLT. Wasn't it XLTE they mm-hmm. called it? Um, and so then you could differentiate it that way. But these days it just doesn't even matter because it's, you know, it's around where it needs to be. And, um, you know, it's not, of course, in rural areas because that's just not what you would need. You know, it's, it is a really good point that we are talking about different spectrum and it's going to function in very different ways. Um, and it's like, you almost want to talk about it like 5g above 5g, meaning five gigahertz and 5g below 5g. And that is going to be, they're going to be very different use cases. They're going to be very different deployments. Uh, and you know, almost, it doesn't even really matter uh, if you're on this 5G plus network today, because it's it's only available in certain areas and it's only available when you're outside and it's only available on certain devices uh, versus a, a rollout of the quote unquote, just call say standard 5G, which will have that similar coverage to regular 4G service um, and coming to a number of cities here uh, that are that are major markets and will hopefully be able to see some real use cases with this here. And it's it, it's going to, I think, uh, be what people are talking about. We talked about this last week with uh, T-Mobile and uh, in, in, in their launch of 5G service by the end of the year in uh, a significant number of locations. And so here we go with AT&T doing so as well. So it's coming. Next up, Verizon launching its 5G service in three new cities, bringing the number of cities uh, that they have covered by their service to 18. Uh, they use the millimeter wave frequencies, generally high speeds, but limited coverage. It's available in parts of Boston, Houston, and Sioux Falls. In Boston, initial coverage is concentrated in Fenway along Brookline Avenue near Bethel, Beth Israel Hospital and several university campuses. In Houston, it's concentrated to East Downtown, Uptown, Greenway Plaza, Museum District, Rice Village, and around select major stadiums and malls. In Sioux Falls, the initial coverage is concentrated around Levitt at the Falls, Orpheum Theater, Washington Pavilion, State Theater, and the U.S. Federal Courthouse. Verizon has already launched the service in Dallas, Omaha, Chicago, Minneapolis, Denver, Providence, St. Paul, Atlanta, Detroit, Indianapolis, Washington, D.C., Phoenix, Boise, Panama City, and New York City. Verizon plans to bring its 5G city count to 30 by the end of the year with planned launches in Charlotte, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, Des Moines, Kansas City, Little Rock, Memphis, San Diego, Salt Lake City, and others. Now, Verizon, along with the announcement, added detailed maps of its millimeter wave 5G coverage to its website. The maps show where 5G service is available on a block-by-block basis in the cities where the service has been launched. Verizon started offering the service back in April, but has not offered any coverage maps to date until now. Because Verizon's 5G network so far uses only millimeter wave frequencies, coverage is limited, and so these maps will be helpful to understand where each base station is and to understand on a block-by-block basis just how you can expect the coverage to provide form. So uh, a good thing to be looking at before you jump into Verizon uh, for 5G services. And uh, obviously nice to that they finally got these maps put out there. Now on the T-Mobile side, T-Mobile uh, and as the T-Mobile and Sprint merger uh, looks uh, to becoming a reality, T-Mobile announced this week that uh, longtime CEO John Ledger would be stepping down from his role 
and COO Mike Sivert, Sivert uh, would take his place. The change is set to happen in May 2020, and T-Mobile has shared the news in a press release this past Monday. Ledger shared on Twitter that the change has been in the works for a long time and that he couldn't be more confident in the future of T-Mobile. No words as to what Ledger may do next. There were rumors over the past couple of weeks that WeWork could be courting him uh, to become its next CEO, but uh, according to sources, it seems he has passed on the opportunity. Uh, it is interesting the timing of this, along with the merger uh, kind of coming together, both around the same time. And you would imagine that this is going to be, uh, there's going to be some changes that are going to be occurring there. Uh, you know, his style, obviously one that was very much uh, touted as, uh, you know, kind of being the renegade and the person who would go about and do just whatever he felt like. And that worked. And that worked for a lot of, uh, for a long period of time that, that worked with customers that resonated with people that were looking for something a little bit different. And I'm guessing that this, this new, uh, company, this, this, you know, merged company is really looking for things to be a little bit different and, uh, to be maybe a, a little bit more streamlined with the, the others that are out there. Uh, meaning AT&T and Verizon. So uh, we'll uh, we'll kind of follow that one and watch it. Uh, I don't know anything about Mike uh, Sievert, Sievert uh, but uh, we'll have to start reading up on him to understand what his strategy is going to be and how he is going to treat the new company. In device news, Apple this week released a new smart battery case for the iPhone 11, 11 Pro, and 11 Pro Max. They're available for order at Apple's uh, online store for $129. But the story doesn't stop there. Unique to this year's cases is a dedicated camera button. This automatically launches the camera application uh, by holding the new button down for about a second uh, on the side of the device. Um, It's uh, at the bottom of the case on the same side as the power button. And other than that button, the the design is identical to the cases of past years. It's made of a soft-touch silicone material with a microfiber lining. You can expect up to 50% longer battery with the smart battery case uh, when that is fully charged. Further, it is compatible with Qi wireless chargers, meaning that you can charge your phone and your battery case simultaneously. And there's also a lightning port for standard wired charging, as well as support for USB power direct chargers for even faster charging. The smart battery cases are available in three colors, including white, black, and a new pink sand color. They are priced at $129, as I mentioned, for the three devices, and orders are slated to arrive starting tomorrow, November 25th. So that is absolutely bizarre they added a camera button because, you know, how you activate the camera on the phone, you just, you know, uh, hold it up and swipe uh, swipe left on it, and then there's the camera. But adding a dedicated camera button to the uh, case just seems so baffling to me and very un-Apple-like. Yeah, it, it does until you think about what's happening to all the other devices when, you know, you do things like take out all of the ports and or take out the escape key and add the escape key back in. Um, you know, the simplicity of the phone, though, has always been just the three buttons, and you've never had an extraneous button for that. But it's also the, the type of thing where the purists would never think about using one of these cases. And so it, it's almost like it doesn't really matter because the thing is, it's it's got this funky look to it that, again, the purist wouldn't want. So throw a camera button on there. Why not? If, if you can make it more functional. Oh, absolutely. I agree fully. I would love to have a dedicated camera button on the device that would activate the camera uh, faster than one second uh, because, you know, that's what you use the, the, the phone a lot for. And it's one of those things you really want it to work fast and be accessible fast and dedicated button. It definitely can make that possible. Yeah, I use the camera all the time from the lock screen or uh, kind of from a, a sleep state. And so I, I don't really find the need to have a dedicated button to your point as well. I don't know what it's I don't remember what it's like on a phone 
that is a home button, but for me, it's literally just hold the phone up, the screen turns on, and you just swipe from the swipe from the right, right? Yeah, it's the exact same thing there. So yep. it doesn't doesn't change at all. Um, you know, so so does this really matter? Uh, I don't know. I, it would be nice, I guess, if you're like in an email or something, and you all of a sudden want to take a picture, you don't have to, you know, swipe down and swipe uh-huh. whatever. I mean, you just hold down the button, and you're you're right there taking a picture. Um, and I don't know, maybe this is, they found that the use case for this case, uh, case for the case is that it's for people when they're traveling and when they travel, they take more pictures. And so it just makes more sense. Um, I, I thought about this as soon as I saw this and I thought, oh, that could be interesting. Maybe I'll check it out. And I went, no, it's, this is for a phone I don't have. This is only for the 11s. And so, uh, no option to, uh, to try that out, but kind of an interesting thing. If you happen to be one of the, uh, own, an owner of one of the latest devices that you could take some pictures a little bit quicker than you were uh, in Android news, Samsung will sell a star Wars special edition of the galaxy note 10 plus starting this December, the star Wars inspired design elements and digital content will be bundled with a specially designed case and metal badge as a collector's item, as well as a red S Pen and Galaxy Buds. The design features a first-order logo on the back. It comes loaded with exclusive Star Wars-themed content, including wallpapers, shutdown animations, icons, and sounds. And Gadget reported that the uh, unlocked phone will go on sale uh, December 13th. It'll be $1,300. Special edition coincides with the release of The Rise of Skywalker that will be coming out on December 20th. In software news, Apple this week released iOS 13.2.3 to the general public. This follows uh, 13.2.2, which made improvements to background app performance. Uh, but 13.2.3 and iPad OS 13.2.3 are both rolling out to users everywhere. Uh, they say they continue to improve performance and fix bugs. In the change log, it says fixes an issue where system search and search within mail files and notes might have not been working. Addresses an issue where photos, links, and other attachments might not display properly in the messages details view. It fixes an issue that could prevent apps from downloading content in the background and resolving issues that may prevent mail from fetching new messages and fail to include in quote original message content in exchange accounts. Again, the updates are available for free to all users. Questions and comments this week. The first is a comment from Charles and he says, I saw this note on the Microsoft site. The update on iOS public preview per the terms of Apple's test flight. Uh, The public preview for iOS apps is restricted to a maximum capacity of 10,000 users. We saw extraordinarily extraordinarily strong interest in the Office application and reached the capacity limit for iOS within a few hours of the announcement. We're thrilled and flattered by the interest and look forward to reaching general availability of the application for everyone to use. The public preview for the Android version of the Office app is not subject to the same download limits and continues to be available for download. So perhaps that is uh, one of the issues that we've been having, although you and I were both able to download it. So Right. We must have been on that uh, first wave there right before it uh, went out within a few hours. So it must be uh, we must have been uh, early, uh, early downloaders. I'd been thinking about trying to get it for the iPhone to try it out and obviously can't do that now. Yeah, uh, you can because it should be on your account. Oh, I see. So, okay. Yeah, so, you should be able to do it. Uh, that, that that could work. But, um, you know, obviously I, I don't, um, I haven't really found a need to do this uh, yet. Uh, perhaps just wait a little bit. I, I'm using, uh, I don't know if you have downloaded this, but the remote desktop client, Joey, is also through uh, Apple's test flight program. And yep. the version 
there to me functions better. It uses the full screen of the iPad versus um, the the older. I don't know if they've updated the older version. No. Yet. Okay. So so they've got that. There's you've got mouse support. You've got keyboard support. So if you happen to be a remote desktop user and you connect into a Windows computer, uh, the the remote desktop client through Apple's test flight is absolutely the way to go, in my opinion. So again, I, I don't know if you're using this at all. I, I do use it some, but I do have trouble with it. I'm going to try to uninstall and reinstall it again. It, it It's always done this to me where it, it actually freezes up, stops responding, and I have to force quit the app and uh, uh, restart it um, hmm. randomly. Interesting. Never once seen that happen. Um, it has crashed on me a few times, um, but I'm doing very specific things weird behaviors or something it's like i'm doing a a keypad combination to either switch you know to another app or something like that and uh within the instance not you know within on the app uh uh on the ipad itself but within uh the the desktop client as that's running and that will sometimes crash it um i don't really pay enough attention to it though to uh to understand exactly what it is but um, but ultimately it, it's a it, relatively stable and I, I do enjoy using it, use it quite a bit. So check that out if you're, um, you, you're using remote desktop because the, the version on uh, test flight is indeed much better. But, uh, finally today here, a question from Harry. He says, is the UK better off laying more fiber or should they be building more 5g towers? Well, Harry, I, I'm assuming this question is in relation to, uh, recent news, uh, about free internet being offered as part of a strategy for the UK Labour Party's, uh, you know, their platform for for the future the elections that are coming up here. Uh, national Fiber and Wi-Fi uh, is certainly an interesting proposition, but I don't think it's going to be a part of a solution to replace cellular data. Um, to me, it's the wrong frequencies, uh, the wrong power outputs, et cetera, and you're only going to cover a small area with Wi-Fi. So while uh, it's this is true, of course, of millimeter wave 5G uh, radios and their deployments. That strategy is for very dense urban areas and not for deployments for a national network. The physics just don't work when you're talking about Wi-Fi frequencies and, and the, the power output. Right. And of course, some cities do have Wi-Fi. Minneapolis has a, a Wi-Fi as well, but it isn't that great because Wi-Fi, the protocol of Wi-Fi is just not designed for for that kind of network. It's designed for being at home in your little area and really it's just been kind of uh, hacked to uh, force it into some other positions like businesses and, you know, city things. It's, it, you know, the, the mobile network like LTE and those other data uh, uh, protocols are much more suited for that kind of deployment. So, um, you know, and going back to the original question about fiber, you really need fiber to all these towers and equipment anyway so really you uh you know you're going to need fiber for that stuff and and having like the home broadband and things via uh you know wireless may be great for the last mile uh especially with the the 5g technologies that are coming but wi-fi really wouldn't be that effective or cost effective so uh you know short term uh, you know 5g may not quite be there yet so i don't know if you need to do fiber to the houses or what or some sort of combination of uh, of it it's it's kind of tough to say. Yeah, and you know, obviously the the idea that you would be connecting up all over uh, to Wi-Fi and just basically being on Wi-Fi all the time, um, it, it it's it, the handoffs aren't going to work appropriately. There's always going to be some issue. Um, the the physics of of the way the networks are getting built is just not uh, of of how Wi-Fi functions versus how cellular networks. Um, power outputs alone uh, are kind of the answer to why this is not going to work. Right. I would think, a, you know, a 5G network um, 
uh, would be a much more uh, cost-effective way to actually deploy something like this. Yeah, it seems it seems it. All right. Well, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie dot com or give us a call six five zero nine 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 zero five two four. And we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie dot com. <laughs>